You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. Go to the end, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Proverbs chapter 21, verses 25 to 26. The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him, because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 to 34. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed, and learned a little, uh, uh, learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 13 to 16. A sluggard says, There is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his own to his mouth. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 19. The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Good morning, everyone. Today, we'll be looking at how the book of Proverbs teaches us wisdom by understanding work and sluggardliness. Sluggardliness. That's a really strange word, isn't it? We don't use it nowadays, do we? A simpler word for sluggardliness would just be slothfulness or just laziness. Right? The, the book of Proverbs provides a caricature of a sluggard and actually mocks and jokes about this character as you've heard earlier from the passages read to us. This character appears alongside other characters featured in the book of Proverbs such as wisdom, folly, the adulterous woman whom we'll hear more of in next week's sermon, uh, the prudent person, and so on. If we remember what Chris preached last week about the wisdom book of Proverbs in general, uh, Proverbs is about living well in God's good world. And you may recall the quote from the author, Ed Welch. Proverbs doesn't simply say, stop doing this and start doing that. It woos, persuades, paints vivid pictures, rehearses consequences, connects teaching to real life, and surrounds everything with the fear of the Lord and delivers it all in the context of familiar love. And this morning, we'll see quite a bit of that 
in regards to how laziness affects our lives. But I must admit, I had to do quite a bit of research on this, reading lots of commentaries and listening to lots of sermons and podcasts on this topic after Chris approached me to preach on this. And that's because I've never heard the topic of laziness preached in Singapore before. The Singaporean Chinese culture just swings to the other extreme, right? We work too hard, study too hard. You know, sometimes we even force our kids to study too hard for the wrong reasons, obviously. We neglect family and we neglect God. And work becomes an idol for us. But I'm very aware and I would like all of us to be aware as well that it's very easy to listen to a sermon or read a piece of scripture and say that, oh, that's, that's such an apt message for so-and-so. It would be great if that person could hear it, if, it, if that person could believe and repent after hearing it. Right? But the book of James, which is the New Testament wisdom book equivalent of Proverbs, it says that when we read the word, we should treat it like a mirror so we can recognize our own flaws and imperfections and do something about it. And when the word, and specifically the book of Proverbs, speaks about laziness versus diligence, being hardworking and just work in general, it's speaking against having a perpetually lazy attitude or mindset. It doesn't doesn't say that you shouldn't rest from work. In fact, you should rest from work. God himself rested on the seventh day of creation and we rest in him. And he instituted the Sabbath day for his people Israel, which happened every week. And although it isn't a law to us, we as Christians have a wise principle to follow, to dedicate a day for us to rest and focus on worshipping God together with other Christians in church, which is what we're doing today. But when the book of Proverbs talks about laziness, it specifically focuses on the sin of omission, You know, usually when we talk about sin, we categorize sin two ways. The sin of commission and the sin of omission. The sin of commission means you do something wrong. You commit a wrong act. Whereas the sin of omission, it means you fail to do the right thing. You omit doing the right thing. And laziness means you fail to do diligent work in your life. And diligent work, when when I mention it, In today's sermon, it doesn't just mean working a corporate job. It depends on the stage or the season of your life. You could be an office worker, a ministry worker, a student, a mother of young children, or a retiree who's volunteering. The book of Proverbs says you ought to be diligent and doing something productive. If you can work, you should work. But if you're lazy, you'd rather lay in bed all day, every day, or you sit, or just sit on your couch and watch Netflix all the time, if you desire to live an easy, relaxing life of comfort and convenience, then there are no two ways about it. The Bible calls it sin. And today, as we look at the book of Proverbs, we'll be learning four approaches that we should take towards diligent work and the reasons why we should take those approaches. The first approach is to rethink your work. As God's purpose for diligence is seated in creation. And we see that in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. Right? It's, it's always important to start with or return to the why. To rethink our work. Why are we working? Right? 
the book of Proverbs and the entire Bible in general is incredibly positive about work and diligence. Right? And it's only really understood when we contrast it with all other religious texts and worldviews from ancient times. Right? Other cultures from ancient times they had a really negative view about work. Let's take the Greek legend of Pandora's box. Right? There's creation and absolute bliss and human beings living in paradise and Pandora gets a box and the gods say don't open that box. But she opens the box anyway. And all the human miseries and ills that afflict us today come out of that box. Death, decay, disease, aging, sickness, and work. Work comes out of Pandora's box. Or take the Enuma Elish, which is a Mesopotamian account of creation. And in it, we have the gods making the world and they find that there's a maintenance fee to the world. Like when you have to pay to maintain your house or your car or your council. And the Mesopotamian gods find that the world requires a lot of work to maintain and keep up. And they say this is very hard. And Marduk, the leading god in the Enuma Elish, says this. He says this, I'll bring into being a lowly primitive creature we'll call man. And to him we shall charge all the labor so the gods may have rest. Right, ancient texts, cultures and worldviews all treated work as a hindrance, something that is undesirable, a product of the brokenness or maintenance of this world. And even today, some other Eastern worldviews go even further and say that it's not just work. All of life is brokenness and suffering, and work and toil are clearly major contributors to them. Right, but there is amazing news for us. What's the amazing news? It's that the Bible stands in stark contrast, absolute contrast to all of them. What is the God of the Bible's purpose for diligent work? In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 9, the wise King Solomon, the writer of this passage, he considers God's creation and teaches wisdom from it. He says that the ant is hardworking, storing provisions and gathering food all year round without the need for a boss or the need to be supervised. I know some of us, we, we only really work when our boss is around, right? Or maybe you're, you're working or studying from home and you just move your mouse once in a while to get rid of the away status on your Microsoft Teams. Or, or maybe you just leave your video off in a Zoom call uh, while um, you're just like chilling and watching YouTube all day. I know because I've thought of doing those things myself as well. well Solomon is saying that just like the end, we shouldn't need our bosses, supervisors, husbands or wives, teachers or parents to be breathing down our necks for us to be diligent at work, at home or in our studies. Right? We don't need to be ordered around to do things. If we are diligent, we'll be doing it ourselves automatically without prompting a supervision. And Solomon points to creation for us to learn that. Ants and other insects and animals, they are part of God's creation, they forage for their food. And it's not just insects and animals, even trees and plants, they actively photosynthesize for their food. Right? It's not just given to them for free, they work for it. And creation begins from the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 2, it says that God made us. He created man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And when God saw that the first man, Adam, had no helper, 
God created a woman to help him. When God created mankind and placed them for work, it was before the fall of man, before sin entered the world and made it broken. God had purposed work right from the beginning before everything fell apart. And that is because our God is a God who works. And that is why we work. Right from the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we see how God has his hands in the dirt, creating nature and creating mankind. He is working. He is doing manual labor and it is not beneath him. And the Bible says, in all things, he works for our good, for those who love him. He watches over us and he keeps us and he doesn't sleep nor slumber. He works with us, he works through us, and he works in us. And if you're not partnering with him, or as the Bible says, co-laboring with him, then you're missing out on his eternal work. But of course, that also implies that we're diligent at good work, God-ordained work. So obviously, you can't say that God purposed you to be a drug dealer, come on. And seriously, if you're doing any of that, if you're committing sin for a living or for leisure, then please stop. Because the Bible says that we are created to do good works. So let's rethink the purpose of our work. Because God's purpose for diligent work is seeded in His creation of us. And there are plenty of good reasons for why He does that, which we'll see from the rest of the book of Proverbs. So number one, rethink your work. And number two, the second approach is to refine your work as it builds Christ-likeness in you. It produces your selflessness and your standing out for God, glorifying Him in your work. Right? And we see that in Proverbs chapter 21 and Proverbs chapter 22. This second approach that we should take to our work is to refine it with a spirit of excellence because it produces great things, not just for your character, but for the community and especially for God. I know I have a lot of explaining uh, to do because I used a photo of an American athlete in the background of my slide. Her name is Jack Jackie Joyner-Kersey, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, and she has been called the greatest female athlete of the 20th century. She's a tr six-time track and field Olympic medalist. Right? In an interview with a, with a Christian news website, she started by saying, I remember when I competed in my first race at the age of nine. I finished last. I came to practice every day and I wanted to improve a tenth of a second if I was running or half an inch if I was jumping. And that meant that the work I was doing was paying off. So that's refining your work. That's refining your skills at work. Right? It doesn't matter what you do for work. You don't need to be an athlete like Jackie. But just like her, it doesn't matter if you're not fantastic at your work now. If you have a mindset of excellence, you'll want to improve. you want to get better and better at it, bit by bit. You'll get more and more skill in your work. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says that we are to excel at everything, no matter what we do. And obviously, that includes our work, doesn't it? And even though Jackie's athletic success brought international recognition, she returned to her hometown of East St. Louis, which was named as America's most dangerous city, dealing with poverty, drugs, and violence. Some of us may relate because, for example, I've read that Stockport is home to some of the poorest areas in the UK. <coughs> but 
but Jackie opened a charity facility in her hometown in the year 2000 to provide academic support, sports venues and resources to help with the quality of life of poor youths and families there. She says this, If I'm going to inspire, I want young people to know that I'm in the community and I want them to know that there is no greater gift than you can give than serving others with humility. Now that's selflessness for others. That's working to your best potential, not just for yourself, but to help and to give to others. That's devoting your life to bettering the lives of others. Proverbs chapter 21, verses 25 to 26, it says this, The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him, because his hands refuse to work. All day long, he craves for more. Lazy people are selfish, and they only crave for more for themselves. They don't care about others. They take and they take. They take from family, they take from friends, they take from the council. But they don't want to work or do anything for it. And this verse says that this will be the death of them. And on the other hand, verse 26 continues with, But the righteous give without sparing. Right? Godly, diligent work, it produces selflessness in you, a very important aspect of Christ-likeness. The work in the Bible is, is never just for yourself. Elsewhere in Proverbs, it says this in chapter 10, verse 5, it says, He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. And Ephesians chapter 4 says that we must work, doing something useful with our own hands, that we may have something to share with those in need. You know, work is for the family. Work is for the community. But the problem is, in this day and age, we're so obsessed with individualism that we forget what the Bible intends for work and diligence, that it was meant to produce selflessness in us to get rid of the self and to consider and serve the needs of others. Right? Because in this broken world, there will always be others who are less fortunate than us, whom we can help financially or in other ways. You don't need to set up a charity facility like Jackie, but maybe you want to serve or to give to the poor and underprivileged in other ways. And finally, when Jackie joined her, he was asked, Who has Jesus Christ been to you? She answered this, There's no way I could have accomplished all the things I've been blessed to do because I know it just wasn't me. And still today, Jesus Christ leads my life. And she encourages others by declaring, If you love Jesus, don't be afraid to acknowledge it or to acknowledge Him. Don't be afraid. Know that we are all going to go through things. Be uplifting, be encouraging, be motivating and let that be your light. That's standing out for God. That's glorifying Him. That's being a Christian role model for others. Jackie was good at her work and she became influential. Right? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29 says this, Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. When you refine your skills and your craft and you get better at it, it gives you a platform to glorify God and evangelize the gospel. Right? If you are good at your job, People notice you, people listen to you, and you have the power to influence others positively for Christ. And it doesn't matter what your work is. As I mentioned earlier, you can be a mother of young children or a student, a ministry worker, an office worker or volunteer. You could be doing paid or unpaid work. 
Because like it or not, we Christians, we are placed on a stage in front of a watching world. Right? To others, whatever we do is a reflection of Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. So do your best at work because you are doing it for God. Right? Daniel chapter 6, it says that the prophet Daniel had an excellent spirit in him which caused him to be distinguished above all the other leaders. He worked for God, and that literally gave him a platform to influence the king and influence the nation for God. But Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, it says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, because you are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, it doesn't matter what you do for work. Work for the Lord. Every single day, work like God is your boss. I'm always inspired by Christians who, who live and work to glorify God in their day-to-day lives. You don't need to win an Olympic medal to start. You don't need to preach an amazing sermon or do something that just blows everyone's minds to, to glorify God. Right? You can do it every single day in whatever you do at work. You know, someone aptly said this. They said your profession is your pulpit. Your performance is your platform and your practice is your parish. So refine your skills, refine your craft, refine your work. Pursue excellence at it because it produces crucial aspects of Christ-like character in you, your selflessness for others and you standing out for God, glorifying Him. So number one, rethink your work. Number two, refine your work. And then there's a third approach. The third approach is to remain steadfast in your work as it prevents your self-destruction caused by self-deception. And we see this in Proverbs chapter 24 and Proverbs chapter 26. You know, this is an interesting point. It mentions lions on the streets, right? Remain steadfast in your work. What, what does it mean? It means don't give up. It means keep going at your work. Be consistent. Be steadfast. You know, from the first two approaches, we know that God had a purpose um, diligent work for us and that there are great character traits that diligent work produces. And now, we'll see that diligent work prevents our lives from falling apart. If you look at Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 to 34, you know, Solomon talks about sluggards giving excuses, neglecting and procrastinating their duties. Procrastination, it's, it's the enemy of a steadfast, consistent work ethic, isn't it? There are some things which can be done in a later time, but there are some things that just have to be done ASAP, right? As soon as possible. Otherwise, you'll see signs of this destruction that Solomon observes in the sluggard's vineyard in Proverbs chapter 24. Right? Destruction that takes longer to the reverse than if you had just done the work in the first place. Right? For example, maybe not in the UK. Right, but in warmer countries, when you spill some sugar on your kitchen counter, if you don't clear it up as soon as possible, then you're going to see you're going to see ants. Maybe not just for a day, but possibly for months to come. Right? Those same ants who are diligently working, right? Those that we see in the first point of the sermon, maybe then we can learn diligence from them. You know, I've heard of a joke that goes like this. Wives Please stop nagging at your husbands when they tell you they'll get something done. It's only been six months. <laughs> it's that point, it's that idea that we can't continue to put things off. We, we have to get to them at some point. 
And in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 33 to 34, Solomon mentions this. He mentions a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, a little procrastination, a little neglect, a little laziness. You know, it brings about that obvious apparent destruction of the vineyard of the sluggard. Right? Almost irreparable damage of thorns and weeds and ruins. You know, some things we, we don't need to learn from experience. We can learn it by observing others. Right? It's obvious when someone is destroying themselves. Right? They, they haven't been doing anything productive for many months on end, even when they're able and healthy. And their home is in disarray. Their lives are messy and disorganized. What about our spiritual lives? Our spiritual vineyards? Right? Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this, What is the natural produce of the land when left to itself? What but thorns and nettles and some other useless weeds? But what is the natural produce of your hearts and mine? What but sin and misery? Just as how a cursed and broken world takes over the sluggard's vineyard, if we are lazy to take care of our own spiritual life, then sin starts to set in and take us over, and sometimes this spills out to our relationships and interactions with others. The 17th century theologian Richard Baxter, he wrote that idleness and sloth is the breeding ground of temptations for temptations of envy, covetousness, malice, revenge, lust, and other villainy. How very true, isn't it? If you don't occupy your mind, your hands, and your time with godly things, then sin occupies them. And when your spiritual vineyard is infested with thorns and weeds of sin, then you cannot bear good fruit or good work for God. And then in Proverbs chapter 26, verses 13 to 16, Solomon goes back to remind us of the theme of the book of Proverbs, which is for us to seek godly and good wisdom in God's good world. And he gives us analogies of how the sluggard doesn't seek godly wisdom, but instead is deceived by his own so-called wisdom. Verse 16 says that the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer sensibly. The sluggard gives excuses for his laziness and actually starts to believe in them. And Solomon mocks and makes fun of them. And some of these excuses and descriptions are just downright ridiculous. Right? You know, there's a lion in the streets. I can't go out and work. As the door creaks when it turns on its hinges like this, the sluggard creaks as he turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in his dish of food, but he is too lazy to bring it back up to feed himself. Ridiculous, isn't it? Right? We laugh at some of these and we find them irrational, but we ought to think about the kind of excuses we believe in and how we deceive ourselves with them. Take for example, I, I don't want to work or study because my family can work to support me. I don't want to work because the government can support me or the food bank or other charities. I, I don't want to do chores because my spouse would do it. I'm just not feeling it. I'm just waiting to be motivated. I haven't got the time. I haven't got the energy. I'm just not good enough. And I'll just do it tomorrow. No one is immune to self-deception. Perhaps check in with others or listen to them because your own destruction may be apparent to them, but not to you. 
And to wrap this point up nicely, Proverbs tells us that if we are diligent to start and if we remain steadfast at work, then it helps prevent our apparent self-destruction caused by our own self-deception. So don't give up, be consistent, keep up the hard work, don't be lazy, because laziness deceives you and destroys you. So number one, rethink your work. Number two, refine your work. Number three, remain steadfast in your work. And finally, the fourth approach, redeem your work as its perversion by sin has been shattered by Christ. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 19 tells us more about that. Right? From the first three approaches, you may be wondering if God has purposed diligent work for us and that it produces such amazing Christ-like character in us and prevents our lives from falling apart. And why is work sometimes so difficult and nerve-wracking? Right? Why do we have controlling bosses like problematic colleagues and toxic work environments and cultures? Right? What are these thorns that block our way, uh, which is mentioned in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 19? Right? Let's have a quick glance at the beginning again. In the beginning, when God created mankind, He placed them to work in paradise. But mankind sinned by rebelling against God, and paradise was lost to them. The world and work became cursed because sin had perverted God's purpose for them. In Genesis chapter 3, when mankind fell, God said this, He said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. These thorns and thistles, they are a recurring theme throughout the Bible, and we see it in the previous point in the sluggard's vineyard as well, and we see it here and now also. They convey sin's perversion of our work in this now broken world. Has work been really frustrating for you? Are these cursed thorns and thistles getting in your way? Maybe you're a teacher, you, you sacrifice your time and your effort to prepare for lessons, but you're just not appreciated for it. Or maybe you're a nurse or a doctor and you get assigned shifts after shifts until you get so burnt out and feel like giving up. Or maybe you're managing projects and your team falls apart or your sponsors back out. You know, you work so hard to get a plan up, but your malicious boss just doesn't approve of it. All these obstacles, they get in your way. Thorns. Or maybe other things at work or at home break down. Equipment falls apart when you, when you most need it. Or maybe you fall ill and sick and tired and you can't accomplish anything. Why does everything keep falling apart? Thorns. Nothing seems to work right for you. This world doesn't work anymore. It's broken. Reality is broken by sin. And there's, this, there's a tendency to chaos and disorder and countless unforeseen and undesirable circumstances. And it makes work painful toil, deadly painful. Cursed be the ground because of you. And Proverbs chapter 15 verse 19 says this, The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns. If you give up and you try to take the sluggardly, lazy way out, then you're going to be blocked by these cursed thorns forever. And they will infest your spiritual vineyard for the rest of your life. 
But the verse continues to say, but the path of the upright is a highway, unrestricted and clear of thorns. And there's only one way to the path of the upright. The Bible gives us the solution to the cursed thorns of toil. Galatians chapter 3 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. You know what happened the day he died? They put thorns on him. They pounded thorns into his skull. The curse fell on him. You know the most poignant and horrible picture of laborious work. Jesus Christ carrying the cross to the place where he would die to save us with the crown of thorns pressed into his bleeding scalp and temples. Look at him toiling towards Calvary. Look at the work he did and how cursed he was. Look at how driven into the ground he was, how trampled into the ground he was. Why did he do it? God made him sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took the thorny way that we deserved so that we could have the way that he deserved. And this is the good news for us. While sin has perverted what work was meant to be, Christ, Christ has shattered the power of sin by what he has done for us. And there is hope. All the brokenness of this world and all the brokenness of your work will be undone. Because Jesus took those cursed thorns to the cross with him and he rose again back to life on the third day to beat them. If you want to use your God-given gifts and talents to do your best work and more, and if you can't do it now, then someday you can, when everything is restored because of what Jesus has done. Your work can be redeemed because of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. In this broken world, there will always be elements of frustration and problems in your work. But know that you can, you can walk through it with Jesus by your side. Don't rely on your own strength in whatever work you're doing. Invite Jesus. Ask and trust that he helps you with it. Know that he understands and he empathizes. He has been through the most painstaking toil and anguish. If you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior and Redeemer, then your work and your toil are not redeemed. If you have not accepted Him, please feel free to speak to any of the leaders after the service to find out more about this loving Savior who walks with us and helps us through all stressful seasons in our lives. Yes, not just in our work, but also in other areas of our lives. And today, today we can rest in His finished work on the cross so let's conclude how does the book of Proverbs teach us wisdom in understanding work and laziness what are the four approaches that you should take towards diligent work first approach is to rethink your work as God's purpose for diligence is seeded in creation Solomon saw it in an end and that points us to see it in God's creation of us even before sin set in Number two, refine your work as it produces your selflessness and your standing out for God, glorifying Him. Desiring to improve and be excellent at our work, it produces other-centric, Christ-like character in us because we work not just for ourselves, but for others and for God. And the third 
The third approach is to remain steadfast in your work as it prevents your self-destruction caused by your self-deception. Don't give up, be consistent because diligence prevents all diligence prevents our lives from falling apart, caused by us buying into our own excuses and false wisdom. And lastly, the fourth approach is to redeem your work, as its perversion by sin has been shattered by Christ. Christ has redeemed us and our work, so when we work, we can have hope. We can look forward to the day when work is no longer painful. And even now, we can ask of Jesus and we can trust that he walks with us and helps us through all frustrating seasons of work in our lives. So rethink your work, refine your work, remain steadfast in your work and redeem your work. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being with us today and teaching us about work through your word. We pray that you transform our minds to have the right mindset and approach towards diligent work. Help us through difficult situations at work, at school or at home. We trust that you will be with us and not leave us alone through all these. We ask that you strengthen us for what we are going through and whatever is to come that we are worried about. In Jesus' name we ask and we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.